Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. So as you're taking your seats, you can turn to Habakkuk. It's a really small book uh, in your Bible as you're going towards the end of the Old Testament. You should find it. We are starting a new series today called Can I Be Honest? Can I Be Honest? And we're just going to look at this dialogue that Habakkuk has with God. He's really raw. He's very real uh, with him uh, in the struggle that he is facing. And anytime we get into the Old Testament, I always like to show us kind of Old Testament history because it helps us to really understand how, where we are in the Bible and how to properly interpret it. So this is just an image that's showing you the flow of the history of Scripture. And so there's creation. God creates everything out of nothing. Then there's the fall. And then in Genesis 12, there's a promise to Abraham. He calls Abraham. He says, leave all that you know. Come and follow me and trust me. I'm going to be good to you. So Abraham does that. And then, then the people multiply. And then they are captive in Egypt. And then God hears their cry, and then there's the exodus, and so he rescues them. He sends Moses, who doesn't really want to go, but God's like, don't worry, I'm going to take care of it. And so he goes, because God loves to use weak people to get things done. And so he rescues them, and then after the exodus, there's a covenant made um, with Israel at Sinai, and then they enter into the promised land, so that's in the book of Joshua, so they settle into the promised land. And then they're like, we want our own king. And God's like, well, if I give you a king, he's actually going to be very bad. And they're like, we don't care. We want to be like the nations who are around us. And so then God gives them King Saul. And if you read 1 Samuel, he's just a terrible person. And so then Saul is king and uh, he sort of makes a mess of things. And then the King David comes you know, David and Goliath, we all know that sort of story. And then he becomes king. Saul chases him for years and years trying to kill him. And finally David becomes king. But he's also kind of terrible. Does some things right. But then he also messes up. Psalm 51, sort of all about that. He's actually a really bad father as well. So he has a whole bunch of kids. But then he has this one son, Solomon, who becomes king. And he starts out pretty well. There's this beautiful prayer. He's like, God, who can lead your people? Only, uh, only you can do that through me. So God's like, what do you want? He's like, give me wisdom. And God's like, okay, because you didn't ask for riches and all that sort of stuff. I'm just going to give you wisdom and a whole bunch of other stuff. So he starts out well, but then he also fails. And it sort of falls apart. He, he, the, the Bible says that he the, was the wisest man that ever lived. And the wisest man that ever lived had like 700 wives and all kinds of concubines. That's a bad idea, right? Things are just going to go bad when you get away from God's ideal plan. So then that sort of messes up. Then he dies, and then his kids take over, and then the kingdom is divided. So now you have Israel and you have Judah. So there's a division. 
in the kingdom. Then there's the deportation to Assyria. And then Habakkuk, there he, where he lands. So Habakkuk, actually, his prophecy, this book, is happening right when you are reading 2 Kings 23. So if you're reading 2 Kings, Habakkuk basically sits on top of that. And so sometimes, like, we look at the Bible and we're like, it's just kind of all random. It seems like a little bit scattered. But I do this because I want us to see that the Bible is one complete story. And even though it's put together, so we just sort of read it in this way, there's overlap. So Habakkuk happens right around 2 Kings 23. And the thing that's sort of out front of them is the possibility, well, really the promise, that they're going to be deported to Babylon. So that is going to come. So a little bit more context for us. Habakkuk, he asks questions to God, and he asks these questions at a time when hope for justice and righteousness seems impossible. So he's looking around, and he's just like, this, this can't work. And the king who's reigning at the time is Jehoiakim. He ruled during the time of the prophecy, and he's really kind of a puppet king. He's just getting pushed around by other people. And so the historical context of Habakkuk's complaint is under the corrupt government led by Jehoiakim. Now let me tell you something about Habakkuk. He's a little upset. I don't know if you had a chance to kind of read through, but the brother is not in a good mood. He is like that person who's getting the runaround from the Rogers customer service agent. And he wants to scream. You know, hey, Mr. McCoody, uh, can I transfer you to my manager? No. This is like the, the 90th person you've transferred me to. I just want the cable cut off. That's all I want. He wants to scream. He really is asking, where is God? He looks around. He's frustrated by the sin that he sees in the world, and he's like, where is God? Where is God in the middle of it? He's even wondering, does God actually care about what we're going through? See, the reason why we originally had talked about doing a series in Amos, and I just felt led by the Lord to, to talk to the elders and say, I think Habakkuk actually is the book that makes the most sense for our church right now. Because the life we're living, we all are having moments where we're like, where is God? What is actually going on? Habakkuk is asking these same questions. He's like, does God care about the sin, the, the trial, the struggle that we see going on in the world? The answer is yes. Here's the main idea I want us to take away from the message today. God does not ignore the sin we see in the world. God does not ignore the sin that we see in the world. The world, the way we cannot ignore the kids flossing at Ikea, the way we can't ignore a clogged sink in our house, the way we can't ignore a naked man in the lobby of our building, God cannot ignore sin. He's too good for that. And so he does not ignore sin. He actually does something about it. He hates sin. And our text is going to show it to us. Look at verse Two, I'll start there. It says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. 
So the law is paralyzed. And justice, he says, never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. I told you he was in a bad mood. Habakkuk's not at home eating bechamel, thinking about when to mow the lawn. He's like, where is God? He's salty. This, his questions come like a, a, a raging wave at God. He's upset. The sin he sees is bothering him. Unanswered prayer is bothering, bothering him. This is a prayer that reveals a man who is perplexed. It's a prayer that reveals a man who is perplexed. That's our first point. It says, destruction and violence is everywhere. He says, iniquity and strife is everywhere. It says, it arise. That word arise could be translated abounds. All around him he sees strife and contention. The word violence is actually talking about civil and military oppression. Iniquity is talking about deception and lying. Strife is talking about disputes going on between neighbors. They're actually taking their, each other to court. But here's the thing about the court system in Habakkuk's day. It's broken. The court system is broken. It does not work. Instead of stopping evil, the court system in Habakkuk's day made decisions and judgments that actually encouraged evil. It made evil abound even more. So what Habakkuk does is that he describes a society that's filled with crime, violence, deception, and legal injustice. Does that sound familiar? Think about the world we live in. Doesn't that sound like every day on the news? Isn't that sort of like all we see in front of us? All the time. And he looks at all of this, this world that is falling apart. And you know what he says? How long? He looks up at God and he says, how much more of this am I supposed to take? How long are you sort of going to sit back and do nothing? He's, just, he's playing with him. He's not holding anything back. I always say this to us. We don't have to hide what's going on inside of us when we pray. God knows anyway. And here we see a brother who's just keeping it real. He's like, how long is this going to go on? And you've got to understand here, this is a cry of faith. Some people, when they see sin and suffering in the world, it leads them to reject God, not Habakkuk. This is not a cry that says, I'm on my way to denying God. This is a cry that comes from a man who actually believes God exists. And what he can't understand is how God has not stepped in yet. It is a cry of faith. This is faith-seeking understanding. He says, why do you, in verse 3, why do you idly look at wrong? It's a cry of faith. John McKay, he says, this is really important and helpful. He says, faith is acutely aware of the tension that exists between confessing that God is just and powerful and witnessing the apparent triumph of wrong and cruelty. Just, just think about that. There's, this, there's a tension that we live with as believers. When we are baffled by what is happening, we are not to give way to despair, but to approach him 
even in our bafflement, and ask that he sustain us, that he sustain us, that he helps us. This is the kind of year where I'm sure lots of you are like, what is going on? What is happening? Where is God in the middle of all of this? There's shootings on the news. There's strange laws that get passed that I think will directly affect our, some of our freedoms. Put those freedoms in jeopardy. The church feels scattered. Sort of, where are we? People are full of fear. And you, it sort of makes you wonder, do we actually believe 1 Corinthians 15? When we look at the way believers are fearful of, in the times that we're living in. When the Bible says, oh death, where is your sting? Does that actually sit in our hearts and then it makes that, that we live as people of courage and not fearful like unbelievers? Because we realize that if God was to take me, I'm going to glory, as my grandma would say. But there's so much fear, strife. Everything feels political. We look and we say, where is God? But here's, and I, as I say all of that, we have to know we can't lose hope. That for the believer, no matter the time, despair is not an option. That we, we cannot lose hope. See, I want you to notice that even though Habakkuk is confused, he's perplexed, you know what he's like? The persistent widow. He keeps going to the judge. He, keep, he keeps going to God. Why? Because God is the only one who can solve the problems that are in front of him. And so this isn't a man that has lost hope. He's saying, God, I need your help. See, Habakkuk shows us that we aren't to sit back and just watch the brokenness. That's not what we do. We look at it and we go to God and we say, help. You are the one who can solve the problem. I have not lost hope. I still firmly believe in you, God, that you exist, that you're good, that you know what you're doing. So I'm coming to you because you are the one who can give me peace. You are the one who can make things right. He shows us what to do. He continues to go to the one, the only one who can help. I want you to listen to me on this. The state of the world, I want to say this slowly. The state of the world may perplex us, but in faith, we hold on to the fact that God is in control and he will intervene when he sovereignly decides that it's right. We are never to be hopeless, because that's true. That's why we don't give in to despair. God is in control, and as we call on him, he will intervene and make things right. Why? Because God does not ignore the sin we see in the world. Habakkuk's trying to understand, but I want you to know that he is also lamenting. He's trying to understand what is going on, but it's also a lament. He says, I cry in verse 2 for help. I cry to you, 
violence. His heart is broken. There's enough times in the Bible where people lament. Psalms, full of lament. You read Job, feels like that brother, all he did was lament. That just his whole life was just a, a cry to God. Jesus, do you know that Jesus lamented? On the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is hanging there, and he laments. See, we can be honest with God, pouring our heart out to him, especially when times are tough. God gives us room to be real. Don't you notice, you'll see in the text that God never gets mad at Habakkuk for coming at him like this. Doesn't. You read it all the way through. And it's a lesson for us that we can bear our heart to God. We can bear our frustration, our struggle, our confusion. We don't have to fake the funk. We can be real with God. And so I want to, I want to encourage you, if there's something on your heart, if the, the thing that is grieving your heart right now, whether it's about the world or something in your life, whatever it is, then you need to tell that to God. And you just, you tell it to him in the, in the realest and rawest ways between you and him. Not in an irreverent way, but in res respectfully saying, here's how I'm really feeling. Here's what I'm really thinking. And then you know what you do? You turn around and you ask him for comfort because he'll give it. And then you turn around and you ask him for help because he'll give that too. Because that's the kind of father that we have. So Habakkuk wants answers and God gives him one. Look at verse 5. God says, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I'm doing a work in your day that you would not believe if told. God's like, I'm working. I'm doing something. We got to know that even in the silence, God's working. Right now, God is working in the world, even in the silence. Right now, God is working in your life, even in the silence. He says, I am doing a work. He is not sleepy. He's awake and working. Verse 6, for behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go from, forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards. They're fierce than the evening wolves. Their horses press on, pr proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They come for violence. Their faces forward. They gather captives like the sand, and king, at kings they scoff. This is a powerful nation. At rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up on earth and take it. They sweep like the wind and go on. Guilty men. We're going to see how God deals with that next week. But he says, guilty men whose might is their God. Their God gives us this picture here that this nation is actually very proud and next week we'll see how God deals with that. He says their might is their God. But in the meantime, what you have here, this is a response that reveals a God who is faithful. 
It's a response that reveals a God who is faithful. In verse 5, he says, he says, you. He says, look. And this, this answer, it could be you all. Now, God, what he does here is that he answers in plural form. And what he's telling Habakkuk is, I'm giving you a message that you are to tell everyone. Everyone in the nation, everyone in your time, they need to hear this. Spread it around. And he answers in three imperatives. He says, look, see, wonder, and be astounded. Verse 6, he says, behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. Now, the Chaldeans, were another, it's another name for the Babylonians. This is a, one of the most powerful, most powerful empires of all time, led by Nebuchadnezzar. Now, you should know that name from the book of Daniel. And so they're at the height of their power when he is ruling. And so God here, his answer actually shows his sovereignty over the world. God's response, when he says, I'm raising up a nation. So Habakkuk's li living his life, doing his thing, but God's got something else going on over here. Why? Because he's sovereign. He's working here and he's working there. He rules all nations at all times. There's never a moment where God is not in control, running things. And that actually should give us confidence and hope. It should give us peace. Again, we think of the times that we're living in. Trying to, I'm trying to drive this into our hearts. God is aware. God is working. God is sovereign. And that one statement, behold, I'm raising up this nation, just makes that so clear. He's going to use this nation as an instrument of divine judgment on his sinful people. Now, some people don't like the idea of God being a judge. Believers don't like it. Unbelievers don't like it. I'll be honest with you, that was one of my hardest struggles when I wasn't a Christian. And even when I became a Christian, it was a struggle for me. Because I grew up in a church, even though I wasn't a Christian, my mom made sure I went, where it was just fire and brimstone every Sunday. Like the worship team would come off, and then like it would just, you'd just be going in. And half the time in church, I was just scared while smelling deep beef patties cooking in the basement. But just terrified, because I'm like, I, the God you are describing, like, I just want nothing to do with that God. And so even in my preaching, I was talking to Pastor Chris Shipley, who works at Hope Mississauga this week. I was saying, even in preaching, sometimes it's, it's hard for me to talk about the judgment of God. And then I was reading this book this summer called Knowing God by J.I. Packer, and this deeply convicted me. He says, why do we fight shy of the thought of God as a judge? Why do we feel that the thought to be unworthy of him? The truth is, is that part of God's moral perfection is his perfection in judgment. This, this is key. Would a God who did not care about uh, the, the difference between right and wrong be a good and admirable being? Moral indifference would be an imperfection in God, not a perfection. The final proof that God is a perfect moral being, not indifferent to the question of right and wrong, is the fact that he has committed himself to judge the world. And I was just like, I never thought about it like that. That if God didn't do something about the wrongs that we see, that something would be wrong with him. We need him to be 
this way. And so as believers, it's not something to be ashamed about. See, because God is good and loves what's right, he has to judge what's evil. He has to judge what is wrong. And when God raised up the Chaldeans, he is simply being faithful to his character and to his promise. He's being faithful to his character and to his promise. When Habakkuk says, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear, that is actually what God promised to do. If the people broke the covenant, Deuteronomy says, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that he commanded you to today, the Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and, and overtake you if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. And when God is making this covenant, the people are like, yeah, we'll do that. They're like, we're in. Well, then it continues. Going back. That, nice, thank you. It says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God or be careful to do his, all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually. Habakkuk feels oppressed. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God, the Lord your God will bring a nation against you from far away. God says, if you obey, blessing. If you disobey, cursing. And the people say, we agree. And so they broke the covenant. Well, God is like, now just, I'm just upholding my part. And here's the thing, though. This judgment that's come took a long time. It took a long time. The people broke the covenant in like within hours. You're like, how do you know, Marv? Exodus 32, the golden calf. I always love that story because Aaron's like, we just, you know, the, you know the people, they just gave me all their stuff and we just threw it in the fire and then a calf came out. And if you read it closely, Aaron is getting full blame while he's trying to blame other people. Not a new sin. If you look at Genesis 3, Adam does the same thing, blame shifting. And so they broke it, but God takes years. He takes centuries. And you know what he's doing? Calling them back to repentance. Calling them, saying, turn to me. Turn and come back. It takes years. God is long-suffering. And so the judgment comes, but it comes after a long time. God gives second chances. Now this idea here of covenant is very important. Because covenants actually helps us to understand the whole Bible. One of my goals as a preacher, as a pastor, is to help you, our church, see how the Bible fits together. And covenants, this idea, helps us to understand the Bible and actually helps us to understand the faithfulness of God. Here are all the biblical covenants. So there's the covenant with creation, that's in Genesis. There's the Abrahamic covenant, that is in Genesis 12, 15, and 17. Then there's the Mosaic covenant that God makes. Then there's the Davidic covenant. 
And then there's the new covenant, which is talked about in Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, and in Luke 22, Jesus talks about it. So you get this idea of the Bible is a series of covenants that God makes with his people. And all through, God is looking for a faithful covenant partner. And he finds none. Because we all fail. In every single covenant, when you look, it looks good for a while, then they fail. 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 So you know what God does? He just does it himself. And so he sends Jesus. And Jesus comes and he lives as the faithful covenant partner in our place. Jesus does what we cannot do. He takes it in our place. Jesus is the true Israel. Jesus is the true Son of God. And Jesus takes the judgment of God on himself. Why? So that it would never fall on those who are trusting in him. He comes in and lives in our place. Acts 13 says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation for those who lived in Jerusalem and their rulers because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterance of the prophets which they read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. There's the judgment. Condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, Jesus is innocent. They asked Pilate to have him executed. And then Paul says, beware. Therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Now watch this. This is the exact quotation from where? Habakkuk. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. Why? For I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if it's told to you, if one tells you. Paul quotes Habakkuk almost word for word. And you know what it's in the context of? People who are in danger of rejecting Jesus as the Messiah. And he's saying, don't reject Jesus, because if you reject Jesus, the judgment of God is going to fall on you. Jesus' faithful covenant partner takes the judgment in our place. See, the judgment fell in Habakkuk's day, and the judgment fell in the day of Jesus, but it fell on an innocent man. Jesus, the Son of God, and now... It will never fall on anyone who believes in him. It will never fall. God is faithful. He does not ignore the sin that we see in the world, but we should also see that God provides for the sins of the world by providing his son. That's how faithful he is to us. The believer needs to understand That God has been faithful to you. Why? Because your eyes have been opened. You are walking with Jesus. And it's all God's work. We did nothing. Opened our eyes. Drew us to himself. Changed our heart. In the process of changing our lives. Sanctifying us. 
and promises that when the final judgment comes, that will be a day of joy, not a day of misery. And so we look at Habakkuk and and we see this fierce nation that's coming for the people. And we look and we see that there's the wrath of God that is coming, but not for the Christian. We we are hidden in Christ, and so only good is coming to us. And so we need to see just how faithful God has been to us. But here's the thing for the non-Christian. You need to understand that right now, in this moment, God is being faithful to you. You're like, how? Why? How how is he being faithful? Because God is giving you a chance to repent. I said it before. God is long-suffering. The people break the covenant and he takes years. We walk in sin and he's taking years for the judgment to come. Why? So that those who are not in Christ would trust Jesus and stand on the last day ready, like with all of us, to go into glory, to go into joy. That is, do you see how good God is? What do we deserve? And what does he give? We rebel, he rescues. We sin, he gives grace. That is our father. And so the believer should rest, grateful for the faithfulness of God. And the unbeliever should see the faithfulness of God now and today. Place your faith in Jesus Christ. Believe the gospel so in the end you can experience joy, eternal salvation, eternal life and happiness with the Father, our good and faithful God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, for your your grace, your faithfulness, your goodness to us. I pray, Father, the King of glory, Lord, who we long to be with, as we walk through this storm, this trial, whatever you want to call it, Lord, that you have brought, that you have sovereignly allowed, God, we ask that you would give us strength and endurance. But I I pray also that we would see and feel the freedom that we have to talk to you, to tell you how we are feeling, how we are doing. To cry out like Habakkuk, how long, Lord? And to ask you to make things right, to come. God, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you that you have saved us and that we know Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, for those who don't know Jesus, that they would see that there's a unique opportunity to trust. And I pray that we would all repent. All of us have sinned, Lord. None of us are perfect. None of us are in a spot where we can look down on anyone else. God, we all need your grace. I pray for those standing outside of your grace that they would come come under it. They would hide themselves in your son so they can experience joy in the end, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.